Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And always potting and grinding. I'm Nick Severi. He is always potting and grinding, folks. We're going to get to that in a little bit. On the program today, the Texas 3P. Texas has passed three laws that we're going to get into with the fantastic Elizabeth Fendel from the Wall Street Journal. She is their everything Texas reporter. She's been covering a lot of this, uh, writing articles and talking with lawmakers and sources about some of the you know contests that are going to happen to this law. We've already seen a couple of lawsuits, a doctor that came forward in the San Antonio area that's already being tested. So Elizabeth's going to break all of that down for us later on in the program. Before I circle back with Mr. Severi, a new podcast. You're a sports fan out there. You want to check the stats? Well, what better way than clicking on check the stats over at theanalyst.com. Just click on the podcast tab. You will see this brand new podcast, or it's available wherever you get your podcast right now, Apple, Spotify, Google, across all the major platforms. And each week I will sit down with a player, coach, scout, trainer, or broadcaster to discuss how they use sports stats in their profession and really dive deep into the sports that they cover, that they played. Uh, recently, we just had, like I mentioned, uh, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback that was on the program. Uh, Jose Hernandez, who's a fantastic play-by-play announcer for Univision Deportes, covering all the Champions League stuff. So if you're big into sports, people you've seen on your TV that have played, that have broadcasted, uh, that coach the sport, 
They're on the show. So check out that show wherever you get your podcast. Nick, I've been moonlighting away from you. I know you love the show. Don't shake your head. We're back to this show, though. News, baby, because we got a ton of news to cover. How are you doing over there in Eastern Pennsylvania? How is everything? We're good. We're good, man. And and I'll echo like what you said. I mean, seriously, we've we've talked off you know off show about some of the guests you've had. You know, you've had Quincy Avery on. I've heard Quincy's voice on other programs, man. Like just talking about quarterbacks. You know, Ray Ray Lucas. I don't know if anyone else calls him Ray Ray, but I, does. I'll do it here and you know, hopefully he doesn't get upset about that. Yeah, it's um, the names keep coming and the stories about sports and statistics, which is an area I, I love to nerd out about with you as well. It's just an awesome thing. And again, I'm always just proud of the work you're doing. And seriously, if you are a fan of CWPT, um, that show is on the come up. Got to get on, get on the bandwagon now. Anyway, um, now we're, we're doing well in Easton, man. Big news, though, is my yeah. wife just had her um, her boost, her booster for COVID. So, you know, to the much to the dismay of the Kyrie Irvings of the world, uh, that is her third <laughs> COVID shot. So she's doing good. Similar to her second shot, you know, it took a day just for the uh, you know, for ar- her arm to feel right again. Um, very, very mild symptoms. Not much. Honestly, she just needed a little bit of rest. And now she's right as rain. So once again, you know, the vaccines where it's at, man. So we're we're very grateful. And again, she's in the medical fields. That's why. You know, she's eligible for the booster now um, for everyone else, like folks like myself and you. I think it's like somewhere six to eight months You know, after you've had, depending on what you've had, like if you had Pfizer, like I've done, it'll be for me, it'll be coming up in like December. So we're just grateful. She's seeing an uptick in COVID patients, not just her hospital, but this is something we're seeing nationally. So what, what she can do to keep herself safe and you know her family is uh, what's, my, what's most important. You know, it's funny. I'll bring this over here because uh, texting with a friend today about friends of ours that you know, refuse to get vaccinated, you know, believe in the microchip stuff. And, and again, it's smaller pockets of it here in the New York area. Um, and, and I saw it more prevalent when I lived, you know, down in the Florida area, but um, the, the Kyrie Irving stuff, the Andrew Wiggins stuff, um, it is so, it is so funny to me that these guys are willing, the hill that you're willing to die on is the, I don't trust a doctor to give me a vaccination but which, by the way, has outlined everything that comes along with it, the efficacy of it. No one's saying that you're not that you're not going to not get COVID with it. You know, there's still there's still risk out there, right? But it's mild symptoms, like you just mentioned. If you do get it, right? And what happens is similar to I use the hurricane analogy. My wife says I stole it from somebody. I did not. I thought of this on my own. But um, hurricanes, right? Hurricanes over water, right? Gather strength. Once they make landfall, right, they start to, right, lose strength. That's what getting vaccinated is. We're on land over here. So come on and get vaccinated. You're on land. When you're unvaccinated, you're on water. Now, can the hurricane continue to spread across land? Sure. But what happens is it starts to dilute itself and it starts to eventually dissipate. That's the analogy. If you don't get that part of it and you say, Mike, you don't know anything because you're not a scientist. You're right. Correct. Ask your doctor. He's going to tell you the same thing. He or she's going to tell you the same thing. Or you can just follow what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said in that great piece from Matt Sullivan from Rolling Stone about Kyrie and other players who are on the, on that stuff. No, wait, before we even before we even get into the intro with Elizabeth stuff, like, the, no, don't follow Kareem. He's not a doctor. Follow, ask your doctor. The easiest thing to do out of all of this is ask your doctor. You don't want to listen to public figures. I totally get that. You don't trust the government. Okay, 
Okay, I totally get that too. There's compartmentalization with any industry that you work in, folks. I don't know what the CEO of my company is up to. Okay, and neither do you. So unless you're the executive assistant to the CEO. So um, this is what happens at a lot of places. You don't trust all that? Great. You should be able to trust your doctor because when your leg breaks uh, or when your kid gets sick, you go to that person and you put you know, your life, your kid's life in their hands. In the same vein, if they tell you to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. How about that? Let's make it that easy. Anyway, transition. Moving on. The state of Texas, Nick, uh, we have been covering it a lot lately. Um, there's been so much happening in the state. We played, obviously, the former President Bush's uh, <laughs> miscue years ago uh, when we introduced this episode. But um, uh, we're going to have Elizabeth on later on in the program to talk about all the major news that's happening down there. But give me something that you've noticed over the last, it's been national attention. There's been so many things happening from the migrant stuff that happened in Del Rio and all of a sudden how that kind of fizzled over like in not only coverage, but the migrants themselves actually being sent back to different places. You had the abortion law and the challenges, the recent doctor in San Antonio. You have the voting rights legislation that, that got signed into law, the open carry thing that no one has talked about, at least at a national level that we're going to ask Elizabeth about, what has been something that has kind of stood out from the state of Texas to you? I think that the the state has realized that if the state of Texas were to take action in some of these matters, uh, such, such as, such as, you know, guns, for example, um, or, you know, the abortion bill or voting, um, if this had come directly from the state, I think they would run into some federal challenges. Um, but what they've done in the case of voting and in the case of the abortion law is you've empowered citizens and you've created an environment where you're telling citizens that we can't necessarily do anything at a state level, but if you do move forward with this, we can protect you to the tune of either, you know, padding your wallet at the, you know, at the rate of $10,000 per lawsuit or, you know, for victory in the courtroom, I guess, uh, or if you're a poll watcher, you have the ability to um, basically just run run wild around there, short of being over someone's shoulder or you know getting in their face. Which I, I kind of question: Are we actually going to supervise this, or actually going to have election integrity? Um, but those things really stand out to me, and I think the big thing that really comes across to me is. Texas isn't a state that strikes me as being so far to the right that these things make sense to me. It's a state that still feels someone to play. I've, I've had plenty of friends. I've like, Nick, it's red. Stop, you know, stop being silly. Texas has felt like it has some elements of blue, especially in the fact that when you think of the, the bill, the abortion bill in cities like Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, four major cities, at least two of them are major media markets. This doesn't seem like something that's going to fly, that you're telling people in major cities that go ahead and dime out your neighbor who you know, performed an abortion. And that's what we're advocating here. That seems very out of step for a state that has so many urban population, has you know, so many urban hubs like Texas does. So these things all seem like the, the, the lunatic activities of a what I would best consider a lame duck president in Governor Abbott. And he's not. I don't think there's any term limits in Texas. He could win in 2022, but these actions, I don't know. It's a very concentrated base that he's appealing to. And he seems like he's losing the opportunity to appeal potentially to a moderate base that already demonstrated that interest in, you know, moving toward Biden and moving away from Trump. Put bluntly, these are the kinds of things that former president Trump would have tried to pull off. And I don't think Texas is necessarily 
down for that. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you look at it from the national perspective, you and I both don't live there. Right. And we had somebody on back in March from a different paper down there. That's very, uh, a very progressive paper in the Texas signal. And some of these things hadn't happened. You know, you had the winter storm um, and, and what happened there. And McConaughey was teasing that he may run. Those were like the stories back then. And, and what was happening with, you know, the, the border, um, you know, with the surge of the triangle nations of, of people coming there. Now, all of a sudden, it feels like, like you mentioned, Governor Abbott has been passing some legislation that it was very, hey, who told you to do that? Like, where was there an issue with our voting rights? Right. Uh, thought we did this one pretty good this, this this past election. Well, I mean, we saw also that with Georgia, too. Right. Like, I mean, a Democrat wins the presidency and suddenly how many states have started coming forward with these right. strange voting laws? But yeah, but Texas yeah. especially stands out in this way. Uh, but but then the other part of it was, you know, I, I know, obviously, conservatives are always attached to the pro-life part of it. So the abortion law. OK, we don't agree necessarily with what's in it, but agree that it makes sense for a Republican governor to try to get that to pass through. But was the open carry thing like a big thing down there? Wasn't you were already allowed to carry? It's an open carry state. Now it's no, you can carry without a permit. So you can just get a gun and just carry it and not have to show any proof of identification with it. That's a little scary now. Yeah, there's a concern now about law law enforcement. Like here you are as a trained police officer and you're dealing with a population that all has access to the same kind of weaponry that you do. And you've right. gone through training. <laughs> they haven't. Right. You don't have to get. No, that's that's yeah. part of the law. No, no certification for training. You don't have to show proof. Um, so th- it feels like, you know, and, 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 and we've gotten this sentiment a lot. It feels like we're piling on. But I, it, are we? And that's something that we're going to ask Elizabeth, because when you take all these things out in isolation, like you said, it has the the earmarks of, boy, this guy's these are his last final decrees. And it's really not the case. He's up for reelection. We talked about this, how, you know, there hasn't really been a Democratic governor in in decades. So what does he feel that he's losing? So uh, when we come back after the break, Elizabeth Fendel is going to be joining us from The Wall Street Journal. Like I mentioned, check out all of her work at WallStreetJournal.com. Follow her on Twitter. But she does a fantastic job with all of these articles and covering um, a lot of what's been happening with the abortion legislation. But when we come back, we're going to ask her about all of this Texas related after the break. Nick, I want to tell our friends, the audience out there that's listening, about the good folks at HelloFresh that are presenting today's program. Can I ask you a question, Nick? Always. Okay. Are you stuck in a dinner rut? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Dude, I, this, <laughs> we just got back with HelloFresh, man. Like we, in the summer, we get off these programs because we grill, we do all kinds of stuff. Right. The second the school year begins, yeah, we've got to be on a regiment because we just run out of ideas. So I'm I'm all for services and we run the gamut of them. HelloFresh is easily the best one. Tell them why, Mike. You know what? It's so funny that you mentioned the regiment part of this. I, I, I can't believe you're going off script like that, but I'm going to go off script for a sec because I we use HelloFresh, me and my wife here in New York. I mentioned this before. I love the meals, but it is the variation of it. Like, you know, you go to the supermarket, you buy a bunch of groceries and then you're like, all right, what am I going to make with this? What am I, I got to look up a recipe. I got to do this and that. With HelloFresh, you get the free, you get the fresh, excuse me, pre-measured ingredients, mouth seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. 
You skip all those trips to the grocery store, Nick. You get everything in the bag. I'm telling you, the other day we had some Frank's hot chicken with like this mashed potatoes and carrots. Okay, so everything that comes in the bag, the potato, the carrots, the Frank's red hot, the chicken, all of that. You skip all those trips to the grocery stores. You count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Nick and I both use it. We're endorsing it right here. You can now enjoy cooking. You get dinner on the table. 30 minutes or less with over 25 recipes to choose from, from each week. There's something for everyone and all the recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Nick, anything else you want to tell the people about why they should get HelloFresh before I wrap here? The biggest thing is shopping for groceries gets expensive and you got to put the brain power to try to assemble something unless you are the late great anthony bourdain or chef jose andreas or even eric riper out of libana down in new york and you ain't that because we ain't that either trust the experts trust HelloFresh. yeah i mean i gotta tell you i don't know if you said that last guy's name right or his restaurant i'm gonna look it up during uh, during the break go ahead go ahead test my french go ahead do it (laughs) I'm going to test your French. One thing we won't test is HelloFresh and those prices. If you go to the link in our show notes right now, you get $80 off, including free shipping. Did you just say on- 80? 80? Yes. 80. Damn. Wait, let's just make sure. Go to the link, show notes, $80 off, Nick. Boom. Including free shipping on HelloFresh. HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. All right. Like we mentioned at the top, she's a fantastic reporter at the Wall Street Journal covering everything over there, Texas related. And that is Elizabeth Findel. Elizabeth, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today. Truly appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. So Elizabeth, without further ado, the state of Texas, there's been so much happening in the state. I want to go through a couple of different things here. Specifically, you wrote an article recently about the abortion law and uh, and some of the border states that have started to report an influx of patients, you know, looking for abortions or other services. Can you take our audience through what the actual Texas law prohibits? What do you think was Governor Abbott's actual intended goal? And then can you touch on your piece a little bit and the impact that this is going to have on the border states? Sure. Well, the uh, the Texas law bans abortions after what is described as cardiac activity can be detected, which is the very first like uh, pulse of an embryo that can be picked up by an ultrasound. And that typically occurs around six weeks of gestation, which is, uh, you know, six weeks um, is usually that's six weeks after a woman's last period. So, um, Essentially, the law requires that uh, someone has to go in and get an ultrasound, and uh, if the doctor can detect um, this cardiac activity, then it's too late to do an abortion. Uh, That ends up being a very short window of time, and uh, it such a law would be struck down under the precedent of Roe v. Wade. However, what Texas did was this sort of creative workaround where the state is not actually enforcing this. They deputized private citizens to essentially sue each other. So you can sue anyone you suspect may have aided in providing um, this type of an abortion and uh, sue that person for $10,000 or so. Uh, so it has 
been designed in a creative way to kind of circumvent being struck down by the courts. Elizabeth, in that, in that same article, you, it's also discussed that one particular doctor had been sued, um, but then there was a countersuit, you know, from someone from another state. What was the, when a countersuit like that's been brought forward, what is the purpose of that? Well, what we saw with uh, that doctor, Alan Braid, was he was essentially a doctor who publicly wrote this op-ed in the Washington Post where he said, look, I performed an abortion that was outside of this state law. Uh, And then he wasn't immediately sued by any uh, kind of pro-lifers, abortion opponents, but he was sued in pretty quick order by two men outside of Texas, um, one in Oklahoma and one in the Chicago area, or one in Arkansas, excuse me, and in the Chicago area, who were both just sort of random guys who wanted to test this law. And neither of them are opponents of abortion. Um, One of them said that he was pro-choice and believed the law should be struck down, so he wanted to test it in court. The other one is serving a 15-year sentence for tax fraud, and so he's on home home confinement and basically is hanging out at home, and he read about the law, and he uh, is a former attorney, so decided he would file this lawsuit and test it. So what we're seeing is this sort of interesting thing where the law is so far working, I guess, almost as it was designed to work with these just, you know, random people filing lawsuits. So just so we're clear, it's, you don't have to be a resident of the state of Texas. to. Okay. Yeah. So we got randos all over the country that have the ability to potentially start diming people out. Um, So then the other side to this though, to Elizabeth, just to add more context to people, under like, this isn't just about clinics that perform abortions. Like, what are the other reproductive services that are on the line that when a clinic closes that women no longer have access to? Well, I mean, if clinics close completely, um, you know, they provide an array of um, services. I don't, uh, you know, general women's health. I don't know um, that any clinics have closed um, as a result of this law. I think there were, um, there may have been a couple that stopped performing abortions, but we're still, um, we're still operating. So essentially when someone brings suit, you know, a person could, if they win, you know, they're getting that $10,000, which would prevent that person or that person could be so as I, as I understand, this essentially is a civil matter. Like this isn't criminal then. This is just a matter of being able to, you know, earn $10,000 for, you know, telling on someone for, you know, for getting an abortion or providing, sorry, for providing an abortion then. Yes, that's correct. And it's important to remember that we have not seen this tested yet. Uh, these two lawsuits have been filed, but they haven't, you know, had, um, you know, any kind of court action yet. Um, And so we don't know really what the evidentiary standard is going to be. We don't know what the fallout is going to be. We don't know if they're going to be considered uh, legitimate. So there are a lot of questions still out there on how this will work and what it will look like. 
Well, before we move on to something else uh, in the state of Texas, I wanted to ask you back to the original point, because, you know, for, for people that, that our audience that may have not have watched Governor Abbott's press conferences, what do you think was Governor Abbott's intended goal with this? And then the fallout that we're seeing, you know, the DOJ and a bunch of um, states have have uh, potentially are going to file a lawsuit against this. I believe there's 20 AGs that are backing some type of action by the DOJ. What is what is some of the fallout in your reporting that you're covering right now from this? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, putting more restrictions on abortion um, and taking that sort of pro-life stance has been uh, pretty consistent among Texas Republicans uh, for a very long time. And so this was an opportunity for them to do so and to do so, uh, as I said before, in a creative way that, you know, could potentially uh, survive some court scrutiny. Uh, We are still waiting to see the uh, uh, U.S. Justice Department has sued Texas um, and there's hearing coming up uh, end of this week in that case. And they are hoping that they might be able to have some standing to challenge it. Uh, Previously, the Supreme Court uh, essentially declined to weigh in on the law, uh, saying that, you know, they don't really know who the defendant is at this point. Elizabeth, um, a few weeks ago, or at least over the last couple of weeks, um, media attention has, has surrounded Del Rio, Texas, and what happened with the surge of, of Haitian immigrants that came to that area. For people uh, that have not been paying attention to this situation, and all of a sudden, it's kind of been out of the, the public sphere What's the latest that you can share with our audience about what happened down in Del Rio, Texas, with the swell of migrants that came? And then what's the latest going on now? Because it looks like a lot of it has been cleared out. And I know there's been some recent articles written about it. What's the latest you can tell us? Sure. I wasn't covering the migrant surge myself because uh, our national immigration reporter came in for that. But essentially, you had a surge of, you know, tens of thousands of Haitians who came across the border there, who, um, some of whom had been traveling for a very long time, had worked in other countries and had been particularly hard hit by the pandemic. Uh, As you know, Haiti has had a pretty rough go of it in between earthquakes and um, hurricanes and, you know, political, upheaval. So you have a lot of people who, um, you know, for, for various reasons, but, um, you know, primarily, uh, you know, trying to survive reasons are, uh, trying to come, um, you know, trying to come to other countries and that, uh, um, you know, we, we saw that surge kind of all at once in Del Rio. Uh, One thing that was really interesting that I saw in some of our reporting from our Latin American Bureau is that um, they reported that uh, Latin America has been harder hit economically by the pandemic than any other part of the world. They suffered a steeper economic decline than any other part of the world. So as rough as COVID has been on everyone. Um, It's been particularly tough in the countries to our south. And that's uh, part of the reason why we're seeing a large immigration influx right now. 
Shifting over to voting, um, you know, well, we recently with the reason with, you know, what's going on with Texas, obviously from a national standpoint, it just seems like, you know, a, a Republican state that's just making it harder for, for certain people to vote. But just from your reporting, specifically, what is the law that's being put in place? Uh, what are you seeing potentially in terms of questions or challenges toward it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're waiting to see, uh, you know, how it will actually look when it goes into effect. But the law um, that was eventually passed, the voting law, uh, it just sort of overall tightens voting procedures in a lot of different ways that advocates are concerned will make it more difficult to vote. It makes uh, a lot of errors or um, or abnormalities uh, a felony that weren't before. So there's concern that it could, um, you know, penalize people who make innocent mistakes. It makes it harder to, um, or I don't even know if harder is the right word. Word it places. Um, more requirements on being able to get assistance voting if you are disabled and you need someone else to fill your ballot out for you. Um, there's a paperwork process now that there was not before. Uh, one of the large concerns was that it gives uh, poll watchers uh, essentially free movement within a polling station and uh, they can't be restricted to a certain area if they want to walk anywhere and see anything, um, you know, they're not supposed to be looking over your shoulder when you're casting a ballot, but it's not, it's not very clearly defined what that distance is. It's essentially worded that they uh, have free movement within a polling location. So that was a concern to people. Um, and, uh, but Republicans um, believe that it'll, you know, just generally tighten up elections and make them more secure. That's one way of putting it. I agree with you. <laughs> the, um, Elizabeth, do you, is the trend here, just when we think about this with what's happened with voting and with what's the abortion law, has the state of Texas figured out that if they simply deputize citizens to be assholes, that's a lot better, that legally passes the muster as opposed to the state doing something? Well, I mean, that that's one way to put it. Um, certain, my way of putting it, obviously, I, I apologize. <laughs> not, and I'm not putting you on the spot there. But as far as the, uh, you know, the abortion lawsuit stuff, uh, it is really interesting to see private citizens deputized in that way. And I've heard uh, some, you know, people raising the issue, you know, even some concern from the right saying like, well, what if liberals did this in the blue states and just, you know, told everyone to sue gun owners or, you know, what have you. There's a, uh, I don't know. There's there, there could be uh, unforeseen consequences for, yeah, deputizing, um, or encouraging uh, that kind of litigation. Yeah, let me ask you, uh, shifting gears, because there's been a third law that was passed recently that went into effect September 1st that I feel like nationally has not gotten a lot of attention, and I know in the state of Texas. It has from some of your colleagues across not only the Wall Street Journal, but other papers out in Texas. And that was the open carry law without a permit. Um, and obviously this past summer, a little bit of a wave in gun violence across major cities. Um, can you take our audience through 
this law, some of your reporting behind it, like what what does the law actually do? And and we've seen people in the law enforcement community in Texas say, hey, this may make it a little bit harder for us to discern who's the actual good guy and bad guy here. Uh, take us through that law. Uh, sure, it essentially legalizes uh, open carry of handguns in addition to long guns, which have always been that which you've always been allowed to open carry um, without a permit. And it uh, is just, uh, you know, I think there is some concern that there might be sort of misunderstandings if people are openly carrying guns. Um, we have a case here in Austin um, where, uh, where I live during the pandemic where there was a social justice protest and a vehicle who um, said he didn't know that the protest was going on turned into um, kind of where, where the street was closed, where people were walking. And uh, there was a protester there carrying a weapon and the driver of the car had a weapon. And there was, you know, apparently a misunderstanding um, where the, you know, the people who were protesting thought perhaps this guy was driving into the crowd intentionally. Um, the guy driving the car saw, you know, sort of a big crowd and like a guy, you know, coming up to his car um, with uh, a rifle and he shot him and, and killed him. And so, you know, the facts of that are still pretty unclear. and you know, kind of summarizing, um, you know, what I understand it to be. Um, I know both sides have, you know, differing, um, differing views of it, but I think there's concern that there could be more of that type of thing if people are, you know, carrying weapons around more openly. Yeah. Well, that is a, um, I remember that situation happening. Um, pretty scary stuff, but I want to ask you a question because this just recently came up on my Twitter feed. So I can't wait to bring this here. Uh, Ted Cruz. Okay. Recently, Senator Cruz tweeted supporting Kyrie Irving, Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Isaac, a few other NBA players that have chosen to not get vaccinated and kind of go against the states that they live in, specifically Wiggins and Kyrie Irving, who are both play uh, one in the Bay Area and one in New York and have to follow the vaccine mandates of those states. So he tweets support of those players and their right to choose. We just talked about the state of Texas, right, limiting women's rights to choose. I want to ask you, how is Senator Cruz perceived in the state? Because on a national level, right, we see this guy, uh, everyone, the Cancun Cruz and stuff like that. And while some of that stuff is funny, unfortunately, he's still a senator of one of the biggest states in the union. So how how is the senator perceived in the state? And then a tweet like that. Um, is that a sentiment reflective of the way Texans feel, according to your reporting? Well, I didn't see the tweet, but I'll say that, uh, you know, Senator Cruz is, a, you know, someone who's either loved or hated. You know, he's he's very well known. Obviously, he's run for president. He's a very sort of colorful character in many ways. And he. Uh, you know, is really despised by a lot of people and he's really beloved by a lot of people. He has a very strong base. And so, um, you know, it's hard to say, uh, you know, on a broad scale, how, uh, how someone like him is viewed in Texas. I've seen some polling recently on, um, 
you know, Texas political figures, but I don't know if I've seen recent numbers on him. But, uh, you know, regarding the Cancun thing, I always joke that, uh, you know, you can tell a Texan's political views by whether they're, you know, sort of pejorative scoffing is about going to Cancun, uh, where uh, Senator Cruz went during the freeze, or going to Cabo, where the mayor of Austin went um, during the pandemic. Um, when, uh, when people are being told not to travel. And so it's sort of like, yeah, the Cancun thing comes up a lot. So does, you know, he also has his fans. Moving away from Fled Cruz for a moment, in terms of Governor Abbott, um, the governor's up for re-election in 2022. Elizabeth, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, what we're seeing just recently passed laws in the state. Polling data has indicated that Texas is not, and I, I'm not a big fan of red, the terminology of red, blue. I mean, obviously we all know what it means, but, but Texas has kind of sort of entered sort of that borderline purple type of status. Do these measures that we've seen recently from Governor Abbott, does that at all connect to how he's polling in the state? In other words, does this seem to support him or is this seeming so far to a direction that is not necessarily what the pulse of the state is indicating in terms of their preferences politically and socially? Well, the polling that I've seen lately, and I won't pretend to be, you know, someone who follows every poll or that closely, but uh, some of the polls that I've seen, um, uh, you know, in the last few days seem to indicate that there's not uh, huge support for some of these policies. Um, and uh, the end Governor Abbott, uh, who was once the most popular um, politician, you know, in Texas, um, his approval rating has slipped during the pandemic. Um, and more recently, and I think uh, last I saw, um, more people disapproved of him than approved of him, but it's still relatively close. And the numbers that I've seen don't show anyone else uh, who Texans particularly like either. Um, I didn't see high poll numbers for Beto. I didn't see high poll numbers for McConaughey if he runs. And so the question at this point seems to be, uh, you know, is there is there anyone who, who Texans, you know, really like, or is it just, you know, going to be, you know, is, is, is there anyone who can pass over the, um, sort of partisan divide. Elizabeth, before we let you go, uh, I know you mentioned to us off air that you, you've been covering a lot of national news stories too. Uh, what, what is a story right now that you're covering that maybe is not getting a lot of attention or something that you, you know, you're spending a lot of your attention on the Wall Street Journal has been focusing on? I know you guys did a great expose on the Facebook stuff. Um, what, what, give us something that you're, you're covering. Absolutely. Well, I've been spending uh, most of my time right now uh, still writing about the abortion stuff, and we're going to be following up on that still, um, uh, you know, probably this week and next week. And uh, there also, I think, are going to be some redistricting stories probably coming down the line. It's about that. Uh, it's about that time of year and uh, that time of the decade. And uh, Texas is in the middle of its special session right now on uh, on its new districting maps. So uh, other than that, really just, uh, you know, hoping there aren't any late season hurricanes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think we all can 
uh, echo that sentiment. Uh, Elizabeth Findel does a great job at the Wall Street Journal. Check out all her articles. Follow her on Twitter. She's a great follow on social media. Elizabeth, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Truly appreciate it. Best of luck. Continued success. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Nikki boy, today's episode of the podcast is presented by Podgo. You know who Podgo is, Nick? Of course I do. Who's paying us to talk about this? (laughs) (laughs) That is right. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. You always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. If you got a podcast that you just started up, Go to podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, and be sure to add our podcast, Can We Please Talk, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. All right. That was Elizabeth Findell from the Wall Street Journal. Like I mentioned, you know, I say this all the time, that she was fantastic, or this person was fantastic, or their work is fantastic. I mean, I wouldn't invite average people on. Right, Nick? Like, we're not inviting <laughs> average people on. We're inviting fantastic people. We on. haven't. Seriously. I mean, real real talk. How many times do you get hit up from someone? It's like, man, I got a story to tell. You know me, Mike. You got to get me on. We could talk. And how many times do you private text and be like, nah? <laughs> I mean, right. Because that person's average. And I, I want to <laughs> exactly. get right. people on that understand um, what they're talking about. And I think the cool thing about this show has been the journalists that have come on this program from the different, you know, periodicals or, you know, across the television landscape, it, it's been everywhere. If you look back at all of the episodes, and I encourage some of you to go back and listen, but if you look back at some of the episodes, we've had people on from CNN, MSNBC, from Fox News, from Reuters, from Wall Street Journal, from the Miami Herald, from McClatchkey, which owns a lot of the newspaper companies out there, to Politico, like we we covered the gamut here. And uh, even in the coming weeks, Nolan McCaskill is going to be c- coming on from the LA Times. Um, I think my goal, and you and I share this, is very, we we were journalism majors, right? And we're community school communication grads. So we kind of both wanted to do this, right? And so hearing from people that are vetting sources, you know, writing articles, meeting deadlines, stuff like that. And I got into obviously newsrooms early on in my career, like this is this is the grind. This is the struggle. And, and nobody knows it better than the people that are working on it, you know, day to day. So, Elizabeth, I, I encourage you, if you don't have a subscription to The Wall Street Journal, uh, you should get one. It's pretty inexpensive. And, and check out all of her fantastic articles. Follow her on Twitter. She did a great job there summarizing literally all of the different laws that, that have been passed, you know, over the last couple of months in the state of Texas. You know, her thoughts on the governor's race for next year. Uh, give me some quick takes just from everything that she mentioned, from the abortion law, the lawsuits that are pending, the AGs, you know, coming together with the DOJ, what was something that kind of stood out from you from what she mentioned? That the, that these things coming out of the governor's office are not necessarily tied to the pulse of the state. You know, we asked her, uh, I mean, I asked that question outright, like, do these measures seem consistent with the political mood of the state of Texas? And her response was, it, 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 not necessarily. So it is a one. It is a wondering I have of like we're deputizing all these citizens to do all this wild stuff because the the government has the, the state has realized that if it doesn't come from them, it's a whole lot harder to make this a constitutional issue and kick this up to the Supreme Court. But in doing so, is this actually what the state wants? And it it doesn't seem to be, or at least it doesn't seem consistent with that. And 
That's a stunning thing. It does make you ask questions that, you know, with Governor Abbott coming up for re-election in 2022, who, who is he, who's in his ear telling him that this is the move that's going to win you more voters when it doesn't seem to be the case? That's my, that's my biggest takeaway. This doesn't seem to be the actions of a person who's, you know, who has a plan in mind to win re-election. This seems like the kinds of things you do as a lame duck president. Right. Listen, I would be, Harry Anton said this when he came on, when we were talking about polling and, and he said, if you're not placing any bets for the House to flip to Republicans in 2022, you're not following historical trends. If we're going by that same metric or basis, um, I've never seen, when was the last time Texas had a Democratic governor? Wish we, I wish I had Ari's number right now. It was uh, Ann, Ann Richards. I think she was the last governor before George uh, George W. Bush. Like they, yeah. that, Their debate was, I think, I forgot, he had pulled some kind of political move, but that was the beginning. I think after Richard lost, I think right. that's, that's when it's gone um, to the Republicans. And there you go. So if you're just basing it off of that trend, it's kind of one of those wait and see approaches. But we've been here before. Charlie Brown, Lucy's, you know, moving the football. So we'll see what shakes out with the state of Texas uh, over the next, you know, six to 12 months. Uh, speaking of six to 12 months, we've been around for six to 12 months. This show, video, YouTube, you go to YouTube right now. Nick's smashing the subscribe button like Ron Filipowski in the last episode told him not to do, but he's still doing it. Uh, audio platforms, you know, him by now and inside the audio platform in the show notes, do me a favor, click on the Patreon link, become a subscriber. You're going to get all this bonus material of all of our interviews with different guests for the price of a cup of coffee and a bagel, a, bagel. a delicious on, people toaster coffee with butter. And a bagel get on this the bagel toaster with butter cream cheese what's your preference there i i gotta go i gotta go cream cheese okay and i'm not cheese. even necessarily the most friendly with lactose you know what i mean but that right, right, i just right. it just it just it called me it yeah. calls me all right well listen uh as always everybody thank you so much for listening uh watching wherever you are listening watching from i'm mike leon seriously support local journalists and even national journalists like from the washington post like elizabeth those people are actually doing the work pay up for the good for pay up for the good stuff pay up for journalism i'm nick severi yeah i mean he messed that up because it's the wall street journal not the washington <laughs> post we'll see everybody next time oh, catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started <laughs> 